Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Interview with a Trailblazer, hosts Tim Siegel and Lucky Nagarajan will be talking with leaders who forge their own paths within the Deep Foundation's industry. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Tim, and I'm glad to be here with my co-host, Lucky. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Tim. And welcome, DFI podcast listeners. This is our second episode of our new series, Interview with a Trailblazer. In this podcast, we encourage, inspire, and edify. The fact is we are all constantly asked to take on new challenges, whether at work or school or at home. And given this, it can be helpful to hear the stories and the wisdom from others who have taken on new challenges and overcome. We call them trailblazers. Lucky today, we're going to talk about the evolution of the safety culture. And specifically, we're going to talk about the transformation of safety and steps taken to get employees home safe with our guests. We acknowledge that it is still a work in progress and companies around the world have taken big steps and are taking big steps to address missing links to keep their employees safe and sound. That's very true, Tim. As we think about safety, we have to mention construction facts of Brooklyn Bridge and Empire State Building. In the book, The Great Bridge, author writes that the construction took the lives of 21 men, most of them immigrants. In Brooklyn Eagle, author details the accidental deaths of 27 workers, although the estimated number could be as high as 40. Many mention this was the result of either case on disease, getting stuck by falling rubble, or falling from the bridge. Five deaths among the workers during the construction of Empire State Building, although many claim the deaths may have been as many as 14 to 27. Interesting. We have, yeah, we have come a long way from this if you think about it. It is remarkable to see how safety has evolved over the years. Our trailblazers in this podcast are Catherine Chowder, who has a unique career journey and a very successful career and is now the health, safety, environment, and quality manager with Keller. Alicia has an interesting career journey too. We are going to be talking about it in just a bit. She is the president of Hub Foundation. They both will be talking and taking us on a cruise into the world of safety. That's great. That's uh, this is going to be a great podcast. Um, let's let's introduce Catherine first. Hey, Catherine. Hey, how's it going? Give our uh, listeners a little bit of background. Um, you were born and raised, in, or let me back up. You were raised in Cowtown. You were born. <laughs> no, in, I was no? raised on the East Coast, and now oh, you're I'm raised in Calgary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And you live in Cowtown now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in Calgary, Alberta. Um, Tell tell us a little bit about your life. You had mentioned that, I mean, how, why is it called Cowtown and what's (laughs) what's your life like in Calgary? So uh, I was raised on the East Coast, um, specifically in a coal mining town and a fishing fishing town. And um, a lot of the energy industry and, and, big boom for energy 
moved over to the West, which is ultimately how I did end up in, in Calgary. Calgary is a huge energy hub, gets the nickname Cowtown because Alberta also is notorious for having uh, a lot of cattle farms and some pretty premium Alberta grade beef. So if you're looking <laughs> for a steak the next time you're up here, I, I highly recommend it. Well, we were, we were talking before the show and I, I mean, when I first saw Cowtown and heard it, you know, being raised in the southeastern United States, Cowtown was, again, lots of cows and usually was associated with being a little bit of a, a redneck, um, which depending on which side of the fence you're on, that's can be a, a either a compliment or not so much. But um, so uh, you are a safe, the, the safety officer, a regional safety officer for Keller. Yeah, I'm the health and safety manager for three provinces in Canada. So we call that the Prairie Region, which is Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Okay. And you, uh, it took me by surprise, you actually got training in college. This is a, this is a, the degree you, one of the degrees you got in college was on safety, correct? Yeah. So I originally had gone to school for a Bachelor of Science in Biology and Psychology. I graduated from that and kind of didn't check all the boxes that I wanted to do. Um, I, I felt myself drawn towards like a more hands-on career, like something like construction or trades. Um, but, you know, my strategy in high school and university was like, I'm going to take all of the hard science stuff so that all my doors are open. And then when I finally figure out what I want to do, none of those doors will be closed. So eventually I did some research and I found, I didn't even know it existed, a bachelor of applied science degree in occupational health and safety. And that was wow. in Toronto, Ontario. So and... well, I didn't know that existed either, but I'm really <laughs> awesome. I think it's great that it does. Yeah. How, how long do you have a feel for how long that program uh, has been around? I, I, I took, I enrolled in, in 2013 and it had been around for quite a bit of time, but I don't think there was a huge focus on it. So I'm, I'm thinking like, like formal education probably started in, in the early two thousands, but I did a recent kind of search and there's, since I graduated, there's been a lot more universities that have implemented uh, occupational health and safety programs at universities and colleges across North America, which is excellent to see. No, I, I totally get that. I, I mean, obviously I'm, I mean, I'm kind of from a little bit of old school. So, but I'm, you know, when we think of the early 2000s, I don't think of that bearing, being that long ago. But in reality, it was 20 years ago. So that program's been around. I mean, now that's a long time. So anyway, yeah, yeah, that's great. It it definitely is a long time. 2000, I was still in 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 India, and then I had no plans of coming to United States. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, when you think about beef, no beef for me. You have to find some vegetarian restaurants for me because holy cow for us, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um, Catherine, I think you've had an exciting, exciting life in Calgary. Um, it's also great to hear safety is career now and is offered in universities. Um, you know, we do see some women, if we see, like, you know, who have penetrated safety industry and on the sites now, which makes me very happy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so we, we get an opportunity to introduce our, our next guest uh, on the show will be Alyssa Weiss. Uh, welcome, Alyssa. Thank you. Alyssa, um, maybe tell us a little bit about your background uh, 
and and we we also know particularly your that you've got a history going back with with Hub Foundation. So tell us more. Sure do. <laughs> um, so my grandfather started the business in 1966, and my grand my father then took it over in uh, 1981. And my brothers and I have uh, taken the helm over the past few years, and uh, we're actually in the process of becoming a WBE, which is really exciting for all of us, <laughs> me especially. Wow. Um, and as for my journey, I mean, it's been full of challenges. And, and you know, I started as a laborer, which was so educational for me and, and really wonderful um, during the summers when I was in college and then um, on also on the breaks. And I worked from being a foreman up to or from a laborer up to a foreman. And then I was able to transition into the office. So once I was able to transition to, into the office, um, it allowed Hub to really be able to have another person making job, you know, getting the jobs and having my brothers in the field running the jobs. And that allowed us to really grow and look into uh, new technologies like drilled mini piles and getting into slurry walls and ground improvement. And, you know, it started us off as a company, you know, when I started, we had 25 people <laughs> and now we're over a hundred. So, um, you know, it's, but with that growth, we've had growing pains and safety is one of those growing pains that we've had. And I'm actually really excited to be here to, you know, talk about it and learn more. So that's great. I, I will tell you that you said 1966. So that actually was the year I was born. Oh. But it's also, it's also, there, there's a lot of, a lot of important things about that year. And now I can add one more. But it actually was the first year of the Super Bowl. So now we can add another one. It's the first year of Hub Foundation. So it's a good year. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's really cool to uh, you know hear. And now we know how old is Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> how young he is. So I want to dive into our conversation now. Um, you both have been in the safety industry for a while now, and both must have ha have seen a great deal of transformation. Uh, when you think about it, uh, what are some of the differences that exist today that was not there then, and there were some then and not now? Who anyone can go first? I feel like I haven't been around that long, so it might be easier for Alyssa. <laughs> well, I mean, when when Hub started, not when I started, um, you you had the monkeys that would climb up the leads in on the cranes, which today seems like an absolutely insane thing to do because they wouldn't be harnessed. There'd be no fall protection. And that was the industry norm. That's just what everyone did. Um, and to think that, you know, now if it's over six feet, you have to be harnessed in. And so, I mean, it's just, it, the changes have been exponential and I'm so glad they have been. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I say industry-wide things have changed, but we've also changed as a company because we moved from pile driving into drilling. So, um, we're definitely a different company as well in, in so many ways, um, and safety being one of the many things we've we've really strive to excel at, um, and you know stress to all of our guys to to be as safe as they can be. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, what about you? Go ahead, since I'm since I'm the guy that was born in 1966, I'll I'll tell you what I've seen, and I'm I I, I can say I've worked a good bit in the field, particularly early on, and I think you know from a from a very high level, uh, when I first started, uh, safety was not a big part of the site at all. I mean, people wore hard hats, people wore gloves if they needed them, but there was no like safety officer. It was pretty much just 
uh, you know, you might, if you worked on like, uh, I mean, if you worked on uh, like an industrial site, there might be some rules, but other ones, they don't really have necessarily rules. And a lot of stuff you did fairly, if you, if you did something dangerous, it was on you. Um, and, you know, and in some cases you, and people would turn a blind eye if you did do something dangerous and, you know, I might be stepping into an excavation or climbing a rookie ladder or something like that. Then I think we switched probably somewhere in between there and now they switched to where it, there was a great deal of lip service. So that people would say, this is going to be a safe site. But then when you arrived at the site, people would kind of turn a blind eye uh, to get something done. But I think, I think we're out of that. Uh, and I won't say ever 100%. I mean, I'm sure Alyssa and Catherine can attest. We're not 100% out of that. Um, but we're, we're better. Be. We're better. <laughs> we take safety seriously. We do want people to be safe. I, I think, like I said, big picture. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Alyssa, Catherine, does this some of this kind of ring true, even though what yeah, I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I was actually talking to a fellow or one of your fellow co-workers, Catherine, at Keller this weekend. And she said, she's like, do you remember 10 years ago when the guy said you couldn't wear gloves to do dual mini pile work? She's like, and now they do every single day. She's like, I knew they could. <laughs> it's, just, it's funny to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hear stories. I've, I've only been in health and safety for eight years. But when you were talking about, you know, the guys climbing the leads. I hear stories about workers being lowered in cages down hole to like hand bevel a hole and simultaneously they're pumping the water out so that he doesn't drown while he's doing it. Like those, these are stories that I hear from years ago where like, if that, if that came up now, you, it wouldn't even, you would be like, why are we even thinking about doing this? There's no way we're going to do this. And yeah. a part of that is like technology has advanced so much that you can remove, like, you don't have to put a worker, you don't have to send a worker down hole anymore. There's tools that can do that. So uh, it, technology has definitely helped advance it. But um, like if we do a little bit of history, like you brought up the, the Brooklyn Bridge, like in, in Canada, we had a pretty well-known disaster called the Westray Mine Disaster. It was about a coal mine that um, had collapsed uh, with 26 seven workers, I think, ended up dying. And that caused riots with the union. You know, the workers were like, how do we let this happen? Uh, the federal government got involved in investigation. And then eventually what came from that was like Bill C-45, which is pretty famously known in the safety industry across Canada. And that was basically where it's like, okay, like safety is a requirement now. And if we don't do the bare minimum, we're going to start finding people and, and sending them to prison. And that, and that, what I, when I think about that, like that was an enforcement era that was like safety it's here and we got it. We got to hit it hard. We're here to enforce it. If you were a safety professional back then, that was your job was just enforcement, enforcement, enforcement. And now being a safety professional, like my job is actually support and continuous improvement because I don't need to be on site to yell at people to be safe anymore. That's just not how the industry works. It's more about like, I am a tool for implementation. It's like, if we want to do this as safe as possible, let's work together and figure out the best strategy that works. That's most efficient, productive, safe, costly, as it is that big general discussion. So we have a lot of tools at our disposal now, whether it's like procedures or equipment or whatnot, that makes it a lot easier than 30 years ago. No, 
you you actually said something there that we that I probably missed, and that is production. Is that that perception also has shifted? The I think the you know years ago the production was that the the perception was and the assumption was is that production and safety uh, were opposite ends of the spectrum. They you know that the safe you are, the less production, and the the you know the more safe, the less production. I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's been dispelled. I think, Catherine, yeah. Alyssa. No, it's for sure. I mean, and oh, definitely. Yeah, we've been around long enough now that it's like you see the impact of a large safety incident. You could be shut down for weeks, cost so much money to, whether it's directly or indirectly, to restart. Or like if you have a serious injury, that's even more money that you're now paying in, in WCB premiums or, you know, returning an injured worker back to work or fines that you had to pay or whatnot. So I think everybody's very well aware of that now where it's like, we got to do this properly because not only when you do it properly, you do it safer, but we'll be more productive. And I think the key element there that joins the two is planning. So if you have a solid plan going into it, you don't have to stop work constantly to be like, what are we going to do next? Yeah. Yeah. How are we going to do that? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 No. Alyssa, uh, you, when you, when you described your company and, and hubs development, you, you mentioned that you started out about 25 people plus or minus, but you're now over a hundred. I mean, that's, if you, if you look at that, that's a big deal in a company to move from that size of 25, where you probably know everybody's name and everybody's worked together closely. And now you're over a hundred. Um, what changes have you seen in not only growing that staff in numbers, but how safety has changed uh, within Hub going to that to that size? We've definitely had to evolve a lot. <laughs> uh, we've had to become more aggressive with our safety culture um, because we've, as we've grown, we've had more exposure. Um, but I've also found that the younger generation is really on board with safety. They're much more willing to update. Uh, be updated with everything and embrace new policies. Um, they've been entrenched in a safety culture from the onset. Um, so I feel like it's been a lot easier than you think. You know, some of the old guard is what I like to call them. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they do have a tendency to buck against it a little bit, but over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, they've really come to embrace it as well because they see the safety benefits. They see everyone going home um, they, with all their fingers and toes and um you know it's definitely it's definitely been good you know but it's at the same time like once i started working for the company i think my dad had a shift uh and that helped too um because once you have a shift from the owner it trickles down <laughs> and so he said like well if i'm not going to send my daughter down that hole or up those leads or anything like that why should i send any of the rest of you I love and that. you know so <laughs> i think yeah. i think that was a good change for him to see and think about and once you think about it different perspective and he couldn't do that to anyone else and couldn't ask it of anyone else you know so that was uh, i think that was a really an important change for hub and once we made that change company we've become you know again really safety forward and, and focused on it and you know doing training days and um and because you can't go to one site and train everybody at once you have to have a full day of you know mm-hmm. okay this is an entire company change and this is an entire company training you know, we can still go to site, you know, go do your asbestos training and your confined space training and you do all that, you know, but, but to do a full safety day with everybody at hub, um, I think has been a nice change also. 
I think everyone feels it. That that's a question I'll pose to both Alyssa and you and Catherine. And when you say training, and I, I bet you Catherine's got something uh, at her fingertips. How successful is training? I've always wondered: is training does it really change behavior, or and and or is it is that changing behavior something different, or or just part of training? Or vice, you know what I'm saying, Catherine? I mean, yeah, I mean, no. we can and, train, but does that really yeah. change the way they behave? It 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 depends on the topic and, of course, the instructor as well. Okay. Um, I Alyssa mentioned bringing everybody in to do a safety day. We do that at Keller too, and the impact is like it's phenomenal to get okay. gather to gather okay. your whole workforce together in one room for a day provides so much value. Because when you when you operate, you're splitting everybody up into crews of five guys, six six guys, six people, whatever, sending them different parts. It's not often that they get together and have like meaningful discussions as an organization. And safety culture is is relies heavily on participation. So if you leave the workers out of the conversation, you're not you're limiting your your growth and safety culture. So okay. uh, like management involvement is very important and i am so happy to hear that Alyssa and her company <laughs> value safety so much because when you when Absolutely. when you set the tone that you're like safety you know is is number one uh you know going home to your families that is huge and then you know you're inviting your team to come in and figure out how we're going to get everyone home safely that's, that's the big participation and training is, is a huge thing on that. They go in and they, it might be a refresher of something that they already know, but just the opportunity to discuss it again or learn one or two new things is very valuable. And also having everybody on the company on the same page. Yes. You know, you've all learned the same thing, how to be safe together. You rely on each other more. And I think it's a more impactful uh, event mm -hmm. for, for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think at the same time, like, you know, reminding people who are in the field, the change in conditions, change in environment, you know, it's it just like, yes, we have some rule for safety for like 10 things, but that 10 things out of those 10, five of them may constantly change. Mm -hmm. uh, that is something that, you know, I, I think I really value companies that come out and say like, okay, this is a project and we need to write the new sheet for safety and what conditions we will be encountering and how are we going to work under those conditions. So um, kudos to, you know, everyone who are working on this. So Catherine, we were just talking about a little bit, like, you know, how Alicia works for a company that is a small size to mid-sized company now, but you work for a big giant, I, right? Yeah. You work for <laughs> huge. Um, it's not simple at all. Uh, when you think about safety, that involves 100 people and safety that involves like 3000 people, it's clearly there is a broad spectrum of the things that you may have to do and that you may have to think about, um, you know? So mm -hmm. how do you think Keller addresses this? How does Keller see safety for that big group of people? Yeah, Keller is global. We're huge. Um, we're all over the world, different cultures, uh, different industry standards and regulations. So it's a, it's a, it's a hard one to balance, but um, I'm sure everyone's seen it at some point. It's on the Keller vehicles. It's on most of our flags and branding, but the Keller 
logo is think safe, work safe, go home safe. And I think my personal opinion, it's, it's ingrained in absolutely everything that we do. Um, so on a global spectrum, I mean, it's, it's no secret that Keller's a giant and, and their strategy for entering markets is acquiring other companies. So uh, recently we have acquired three companies in Canada. One is the Winnipeg branch, which I am the health and safety manager for. We had uh, one in, in Quebec and then we had a specialty group GKM that we acquired. So I've, I've, I've got to see like that transition from it's like a small company and like, hey, now you're a part of Keller. <laughs> and Keller has all these rules and they don't necessarily work for everybody across the globe. There's certain strategies on how to incorporate it. So it's, it's difficult to manage standard for everybody and what works best for each area. And then you run into different regulations for pro provinces in Canada, like not every province in Canada has the same regulations. And then not every state in the U.S. has the same regulations. And then you're dealing with entirely different countries. So um, it's it, the positive thing that comes out of that, though, is that you have significantly more resources to pull from. So when you run into a safety problem, you can guarantee that there is somebody else somewhere at Keller that has had to deal with it before. And it's as easy as picking up the phone and saying like, hey, we're running into this problem. What, what did you guys do to solve it? Yeah, I find that you don't need to be an expert on everything, but you need to hire experts like Catherine <laughs> to help you set safety culture. And Elisa. <laughs> uh, Catherine's got a lot more training than I do. <laughs> no, I mean, Catherine hit the nail on the head. Like, you know, the, I mean, that's the reason why I brought that up. That question is because Keller is known all around the world. And I have worked a little bit with Indian Keller team as well. And then when you think about India, like, you know, India was like, oh, my God, the safety was the last thing on the mind so many years ago. And I remember the stories that you were talking about a few minutes ago, Catherine, like walking on the street. I have seen people doing that in a trench without any PPE standing in the bottom of the trench doing something. At that time, mm -hmm. I did not understand that. But now I have seen the transformation every year when I go to India. There's a transformation and companies like, you know, uh, big companies are enforcing safety mm -hmm. and training and everything else, which is definitely transforming. Yeah. So I'll ask this question to both uh, Catherine and Alyssa and, and get your thoughts. But, you know, one of the big things that has been uh, happening over the last 10, 20 years is that uh, the workplace has become more diverse and certainly more women have entered from top to bottom. And so I'll ask you the question of, is there some site safety aspects that have to be tailored, particularly for women? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think it's important to note that because we've diversified our workforce, so we're trying to diversify the, the workforce where, um, you know, women have a different perspective and experiences than men. So um, we weigh our risks different, differently, and um, we're also susceptible to, to different risks in the workforce. So one of the, the, the two big things that we're seeing right now is workplace violence and issues with PPE. Um, those are two of the biggest 
safety initiatives um, that are being looked at right now because ill-fitted okay. PPE and violence is, is one of the biggest risks. Hold those thoughts. We're going to come back to it. But I'm <laughs> going to ask Alyssa to answer my original question, and that is maybe particularly how did Hub uh, deal with the diversification of the workforce? We are trying to diversify our workforce as much as we can, but there's we don't have as many women working for our company as we would like to. It's been very difficult to find women in the industry. Well, we're not but judging we anybody do... here, Alyssa. We're not judging anybody. <laughs> no, it's, You're doing great. It's hard across the it's across it the, you know country across the world to find women in the construction industry. It's very hard to find laborers and operators. But when we do, what we've been trying to do is connect them together so that they have. Um, somebody else in the workforce, an ally or another female to work with and talk to. Um, and I think especially knowing that there's an ally on site with them um, is extremely important. Uh, and, you know, I've had a few women over to our office for lunch just to talk about how they're doing and what they're feeling and if they need any help from me as a female, because they may be more comfortable talking to me than to some of the men on site um, and how I can help them. Um, so, you know, and I'm also my sister-in-law, Maya, has been going out on sites um, and seeing people and, and checking in on them and giving them female PPE. Because um, <laughs> that's, like you said, extremely important. Sure. Um, so that's sort of how we've been starting to work with it. Um, I, I got really a question sure. for you. So, <laughs> so I, I love that. I love that program where you're kind of tying, especially if uh, if you bring in a, 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 say, a new person comes to Hub and you're trying to tie her into maybe some support, knowing that, you know, she might, I mean, you know, everybody feels a little intimidated, but I could certainly see in, in, in some cases going from, you know, I think there's a natural tendency to be, be with people that, you know, when you're a couple of the same gender or of the same background. I, I'm just curious if, uh, do you, do you find that, do you ever, are you able to ever, could it be out, out, could it be men, could and I know that's kind of a little, maybe a little bit questionable, but like if a, if a woman came in, could they maybe assign to some like a sagely man in your group that would help? Absolutely. Her? No, okay. men are allies just like women are. I don't mean I, an ally is just female. I mean, a male I, ally as well. And the reason I brought up that, that's good to hear because because I Lucky had brought up a case when she worked at a site where she, so a, kind of a group of them kind of gathered around her. Lucky, would you mind kind of talk, maybe mention that story, because I thought that was really heartwarming. <laughs> I forgot what that story was. <laughs> you, you said you were on a job site that was, you were working some nights, and then... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you, want, you go ahead. Yeah, that's perfect, uh, Tim. Like, that's one of my favorite stories, because uh, I've spent a lot of time in the field. Uh, I wish I had allies who helped me, but at the same time, the people that I worked with were very good good to uh, support me. Um, I think this was the Sandpaper Pipeline project. I remember, you know, it was the most remote areas. And, and uh, if you have to find a gas station or even, uh, you know, a bathroom, you had to drive 40 miles to get to a gas station. Uh, that remote it was. Um, and I had a group of six people with me or five people with me, including me six, and they were all men. And they have been in worse conditions than more worse conditions than I have been. And it was so nice of them because every morning, and it, this was this was completely in the winter, where the temperatures in uh, North Dakota was minus 30, minus 35, minus 40. And you really don't know how to drive 
because the whole roads are always, you know, uh, iced in this morning, you have the snow on this side and the next morning it's on the other side, but you're just, you know, going with the flow and it's so cold. And, and I really appreciate the people that work with me every morning. They would ask, we would have the safety meeting at the hotel. We would leave together. They would make sure my car starts or my truck starts. Um, and they, we would go to the job site. We would finish the work and they would make sure we come back to the hotel together, no matter what. They they used to have two trucks. One truck was in front of me, one truck was in behind me. And even if we had to stop for gas, we would all stop together, fill gas, and come back to the hotel. I cannot, you know, really express my gratitude to them in words because that made me feel so 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 safe. Um, and I had no idea. You know, that's, Those are good that's allies. fantastic. That that yeah. that should actually. I, I would say it goes without saying, but it needs to be said. If you're new to our industry and and whatever, uh, and you're uncomfortable like that, you should try to find a group like you had. And likewise, if you see somebody that joins your group that you know is new or could be a pers person that feels that uncomfortable, you need to reach out. And I hate to say that needs needs to be said but it probably does we need oh, to yeah. watch out for each other oh definitely definitely um Catherine I want to ask you a question a few minutes ago you were mentioning about uh, uh violence at workplace right um and I also read that as for 2021 reporting to um U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics and Association of Workers Compensation Boards of Canada homicides are a leading case of occupational uh, fatalities among American women. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, so um, there is a society called American Society of Safety Professionals, AASSP, and they did a phenomenal report uh, in 2019. It's called Women and Safety in the Modern Workplace. It's an excellent resource if anybody wants to kind of dive into, uh, you know, like how to uh, make safety industry more diverse and inclusive and all the benefits and whatnot, definitely recommend taking a dive through that. But one of the things that they had looked into was, um, you know, men and, and women, what are the differences when it comes to occupational fatalities? So even across the board, 40% of fatalities that happen at work for both men and women are transportation incidents. That's obviously a huge one. People are going to and from work all the time. Uh, moving equipment or, or whatever on the highway. Once you remove that statistic, the leading cause of occupational fatality for American women is homicide, so being murdered at work. So that's 24% of women that die at work is because they've been murdered, which means like if, if, you, if I got a phone call and it says like, hey, there was a fatality, like there is a one in four chance it was because she was killed and not because it, it was a workplace accident, which is incredibly alarming. I'm seeing all of your faces right now while we talk about this. I, that wasn't a statistic that I have ever, ever expected or even heard. And so I went on the, the US Bureau of Labor Statistics myself to confirm, and it is, that's a fact. Um, so even though 91% of workplace fatalities are men, um, there, it's just the twenty four percent of women. Um, it's it's a it's a violent incident. So, 
it, and, and for men, it's also increasing as well. Uh, I think it was 2019 um, when they ran that report. It was 9% of, of men died in violent incidents, and it's already up to 14% in, in uh, 2021, I think was the last reporting on it. So um, I did, I was very curious um, to compare it to Canada because I kind of felt like that was an outlier statistic. Uh, Canada doesn't do a great job of breaking down gender as, as well as um, US does for their, for their reporting. So they pulled all of the WCB reporting to um, Canada. So the uh, Association, Association of Workers' Compensation Boards of Canada and less than 1% of fatalities reported in occupational health and safety were due to violence. So there is a huge difference um, between the two countries right now. So it's, I think it's very apparent that there is a, a problem with violence in America, in the workplace. Um, and the first thing that comes to my mind, and, and, and we had talked about this before, is that in Canada, you are required by regulation to have a workplace violence and harassment policy and program that is not negotiable. In the US, it's a recommendation by OSHA, but it's not required. So it's up to the company to decide whether or not they have a violence issue and if they want to implement a program to address it. Definitely alarming. Yeah. So in, in Canada, like we have these outlines, it's like, um, here is the definition of violence and harassment. You don't get to pick. This is what it's defined as. And you are required to list um, like how you are going to prevent violence on site and harassment and what you're going to do and how you're going to investigate it if it does happen. And we get audited on that every year. We do core audits in Canada and that is a requirement to have and they'll look for it and they'll go through it. And if you, you don't have it, like it, you just lose points from your, your core certification. So just, just so our listeners know, but this, this, that statistic is not really const only construction. No, right? it's, it's across. All, yeah. It's across all, the I mean, workforce. Yeah. The only reason I said that is because you mentioned site safety that this, not that, I mean, Mike, I, 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 I would imagine that, that we certainly have, uh, you know, that kind of intimidation. I mean, it goes probably through all things, but, uh, you know, that that statistic probably goes for all occupations, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, a lot of it is related to, um, robberies, mm -hmm. right. Um, or another, one of the bigger statistics was like, um, first responders, um, mm -hmm. or like people working with patients, stuff like that. But it's, yeah, that was a general it's statistic. Also, also probably criminal, uh, like, like yeah. law enforcement, right? Yeah. yeah. Still a staggering number. Yeah. And, and, but one thing I will say is, you know, Lucky talked about it before is how she, you know, the guys that she was working with didn't leave her alone. There is a working alone policy in America and Canada, which goes a long way for that too, is um, workers shouldn't be left to work alone by themselves. You do have to have a check-in process. So a lot of the times if workers are um, have to go somewhere or stay late in the office or something. There needs to be a policy in place. It's like you need to do a check-in periodically, whether it's an hour, 20 minutes or whatever, or they're just not allowed to work alone. That is required to be addressed under safety regulation. Oh, that's great. Well, mm -hmm. 
this is really good information, Catherine. I'm going to shift gears and and get Alyssa in here on the conversation. Um, uh, Alyssa, uh, I'd like to maybe delve into maybe a, a call it a case history or maybe a, a, an example of a time in in your company uh, that that y'all either learned a valuable a lesson or you applied a valuable lesson with respect to safety. Well, I can tell you one from two weeks ago. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, we had a gentleman on site working um, at, a, at Faulkner Hospital, and he, he uh, was wearing a Tyvek suit because it was an asbestos site, and he felt a little woozy in the middle of the day. So, you know, he, my superintendent was told to go sit down, take a break, go in the air conditioning, get a bunch of water. He did, but he came back probably only after like 10 or 15 minutes. And the superintendent was like, are you sure you're ready to come back? He said he was. So superintendent trusted him. At the end of the day, his legs started really cramping up. Um, and my safety officer was like, you're at the hospital already because you're working there. Why don't you go inside and get, get, get an assessment, get an IV? Because you're clearly really dehydrated. Uh, and he was. And so he ended up needing IV bags. Um, and afterwards, you know, when we did the, you know, a safety stand down on site, we were like, why didn't you shut the site down when you should, when it was clearly too hot? And our superintendent was new and he was only a couple weeks into the job. Um, he had a ton of experience, tons and tons of experience. But he said, he's just like, well, the general contractor didn't shut it down. We said, no you if you're not comfortable with how it's going and how hot it is you shut it down and it it came upon us to realize that while we said it he didn't believe it yet because he hadn't been with us for long enough and the other thing we did is we then mandated that everybody osha heat index app onto their phones that way they can, that way across the board, not just superintendents, but we want the foreman. If you, if we pay for your phone or if you have a phone through hub, I want that app on your phone so you can look at it. You know, the next day I, I texted him. I was like, Hey, the heat index is high. Are you ready to shut your job down yet? And he was like, wow. I, I am, I am ready to. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well then wow. shut it down. <laughs> well, that, that, and so, you're going to have to, you're going to have to educate me here, Liz, because I've, I didn't even realize that that was a criteria to shut a project down. So a well, heat index, you will mm-hmm. really. I'm sure Kat knows even cold more index than I do too. Cold, well, cold, cold index. You don't have to do that as much. The, the cold <laughs> index is set by when your machines won't cut on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, but that, I mean, that's, oh, that's the case man. usually. But but so there really is. So so yeah. you both have an established cold and a see. I, that's I didn't know that. How long has that how long has that been around? That can't have been around for 30 years. A couple of years for the app anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The, but no, it's been but a I'm thing talking about shut, shutting the project down due to the heat index. Um yeah, I mean cold stress and heat stress, like if you get too hot, like you can Oh, I'm not debating yeah. that, Catherine. I, no, I'm, no, no. I've been plenty hot. I'm yeah, yeah. Not. So <laughs> the, there's a scientific breakdown of numbers. This is like mm-hmm. what Alyssa was saying for the index. So yeah, it probably came from uh, the ACGIH, which was like industrial hygiene. I'm pretty sure that's who developed the standard. So they measured hu- humidity and uh, Fahrenheit Celsius temperatures. 
and like what the maximum is. So there's like, there's these numbers, like Alyssa was saying, where it's like, if you hit that number, like that's shutdown time because it's too dangerous to be outside. I've never been on a site that got shut down due to heat. I, I think I it's being pushed by OSHA more now too. And it's yeah. become, I'm just trying to learn. More knowledgeable I, about I, it. I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, I've been on sites where I was hoping they would shut down because it was super hot, but I'm, but, but it's heavy. But, Catholic, yeah. I know you're in Canada. So yeah. No, I mean, we like hit we hit some high numbers sometimes. It gets oh yeah, you have some <laughs> once a year. Degrees out there. Is a high number. <laughs> Take um, that sweater off and you'll man. Yeah. I just yeah no, but it, it's funny because you're like you know you get on site and you're like oh my god it's so hot are they going to shut down? The number is actually so much higher than you think it is. So there's days where you're like, I can't believe we're working and you pull open the index and you're like, we're not even close to the mandatory uh, shutdown I, 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 number. I, I, uh, you know, part of my sordid past is that I worked in Charleston, South Carolina and Charleston, South Carolina in August. I mean, uh, trust me, it you can't even, I mean, I, there are times when I just didn't even want to be outside the car, which I mean, I had to be, but you know, mm-hmm. air conditioning was, that's all that was on my mind. But anyway, so yeah, there's, it can be nasty. You know, I'm just curious that no one ever said we could shut down. I would have built a fire if they would have. <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember uh, not shutting down again, but at least like, you know, the projects that I worked in oil and gas industry, the client had asked for OSHA, like every hour, depending on the temperature, as you were talking about, Alicia, uh, we didn't have a index app or anything, but uh, per uh, in one hour, if the temperature reaches this, then you have to take every hour, 15 minutes break and mm-hmm. cool down and mm-hmm. drink so much water and come so back. That I, now that I have, I, now that part I have seen. I mean, well, that app, it also states all of we, that information too, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, Catherine, same question for you. Maybe give us uh, uh, an example of where, uh, safety made the difference or you le- uh, and a lesson you learned? Yeah, I think this is probably one of my my favorite stories to tell about my experience at Keller. Um, we had an incident a couple of years ago. It was a near miss, but it was, it was a, we all took it very seriously. So we had dropped a cage, um, which we all work in foundations. Cages are very heavy. Um, so, uh, our guys are trained well enough to know we do have standards. That's like, if you're lifting a cage, you got to be outside of that fall zone. So a general rule at Keller is when you can apply it is one and a half times the cage length. So that when it falls, there's still that buffer space between you and the cage. Um, we dropped a cage and, um, our client kind of looked at us like, what's, what's the big deal? Like you just, you dropped a cage, but we had, you know, we've injured some people pretty badly dropping cages. Um, so for this near miss to happen, it was kind of like, let's all take a step back. We're going to shut down. We're going to, we're going to investigate this as a team and kind of and dive into this. And the initial reaction I could see from the crew was like very standoffish. They didn't want to give up a lot of information because they weren't really sure how it was going to go, but we we're very upfront with them. It's like, we just want to figure out, we really need to figure out why this cage dropped. And we pulled everybody into a room for a week. We got the workers involved and it was a very positive discussion. Like we made sure that they knew it's like, we're not looking at 
at pointing fingers here. We just want to want to figure out what happened. Um, and by ha- like diving into that conversation, uh, we've realized that like when it came to rigging cages, everybody was doing it differently. And it was because in the industry, people are trained by supervisors and there wasn't like a general way to train someone on how to rig a cage. It was like, this is how I do it. And then you would talk to another worker. It's like, how do you rig the cage? It's like, this is how I do it. We had four crews on that job and all four of the crews were rigging their cages totally different. So, I mean, for us to collaborate on that and then tackle that and be like, okay, let's figure out, let's, let's pull everybody in Canada and and, in the U S and say, how do you guys rig your cages? And then figure out the best methods that, that we like, and that are the safest. And we'll make that like a a rigging playbook. So we did, we developed a playbook of, if we're going to rig a cage, this kind of cage type, these are the four methods that you're allowed to use. And if you feel that that method doesn't work for you, call your operations manager because your method might be better, but it hasn't been approved yet. So I, I'd love talking about that because it was just like the best come together moment that we had. And like, since then I've personally seen like such a huge jump in like incident reporting and like people wanting to be like, this happened. This is what I think we should do about it. Like we've increased since that happened. I mean, we would get like two to three near misses reported a year and we're up to like upwards of 30 in each branch of near misses that we're cataloging and like learning from. So I thought that was probably my favorite that is safety experience. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kudos for you all to, to dig in and, and see how, I mean, you had the near miss, you go back and kind of do a root cause analysis. And then you apply that uh, and you find out, like you said, four different way of rigging a cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, it makes me think if I, and I, my experience has been that that nothing moves like wildfire, like misconceptions on a on a job site. I've had people ask me questions like whether it's you know with regard to construction techniques or why we do certain things. And they say, don't we do it because of this? And it's like. How in the world did you come up with that? They're like, well, so and so told me. And you go back yeah. to them, like, so and so told me. It's like it goes around like wildfires. Like, no. Word of mouth training, learning exactly. from experience. Word of mouth yeah. Training. It's yeah. Just like we could go and start all these myths and they just they go back the next day and everybody would be doing that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, Lucky, I know something that you've talked about as we prepare for the show is the adjustment that is also happening within PPE. And I kind of jokingly shared with you when I first started that when we got a rain jacket, it was this stiff yellow material that frankly, you, I mean, it was super hot and had no design for uh, breathability. Um, but you know, now we have all sorts of materials, but kind of the same thing has to go on with fitting different shapes. And that is women. Uh, Tell me about your experience and maybe what, you know, what we'd like to talk about with Alyssa and Catherine. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny that you bring in that yellow rain, <laughs> rain coat. <laughs> I remember being on a project site in Michigan and I didn't have a rain gear and it was raining the whole day. And then I was wearing my 
you know, site superintendents, rain gear, and he is probably 6'4", and he's a big guy, and he gave me his, and when I have a picture of that, I have to find it now. Oh, you need to. It, it makes, yeah. It like a, you look like a duster from the old, old Western, but except it's yellow. Yes, yes, and I had to fold like five or six folds of the arms and the legs and to fit into it, and Oh my God, pure joy that I was not getting wet in the rain for the whole day was wonderful. Um, again, like, you know, for women, if you think about it, even I, I'm just saying women, but if you think about men also, like we have known safety gear coming in one size, right? To fit us all. So it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man, if you're a small size petite uh, person, then the PPE does not fit, fit at all. Um, because they're not made for specific uh, sizes and not for specific shapes, body shapes. Um, and no, and fact, all I mean, that's look for years and years and years, we've all used kind of the same hard hat. And I haven't, I've seen never, and nobody that ever could handle a hard hat in, in strong wind, they all got blown off and yeah, yeah. went somewhere. I mean, it was accepted that, that, uh, that PPE probably did not fit and would fall off or, you know, not not serve its function so anyway keep going yeah yeah and and we were talking about uh, um some of the challenges uh, early on and failure to wear ppe has been identified as a second leading cause of injury by american society of safety professionals and and i've seen like I've been in the industry over 15 years now, and I've seen there has been so much effort in the industry to address this. Um, I want to ask Alicia first, because she was part of uh, a group with ADSC. I will let her share that, which worked on this effort. Yeah, as part of the uh, Women in Construction Roundtable, and we have spent a lot of time and a lot of energy to develop a new, new vest specifically for women. And it's amazing. It, I mean, it's really, it's such a wonderful change. There are actually feminine hygiene pockets in there so that you don't have to, um, you know, put your tampon on a Ziploc bag and shove it in your pocket and hope that it doesn't fall out in the middle of the day and the dirt and because you don't use that anymore. Um, but it's, you know, it's a really wonderful, wonderful change to allow women to have proper fitting gear. Um, I, you know, it, it's one of those things where, <laughs> You know, when I first started, I'd have a vest on, it'd be floppy on the shoulders, hanging off oh, one so and I'd be, you know, you zip it up and it's like uncomfortable at the, you know, at your hips. And then, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting, but there's been huge strides forward. So they actually fit you in the shoulders. They fit you in the waist. They actually have some flair. So it actually goes out at your hips, <laughs> fits you appropriately because I can't tell you how many times I would take my vest or my shirt and I'd cut the back and tie it in a knot so that it wouldn't so you wouldn't get caught in the augers or the teeth while you're trying to bend over to change something. And cause it, it's, it's scary to have your shirt get like, you know, cause it's so baggy up here and just mm. doesn't fit properly. Um, it's yeah. the same with gloves. Even I know it sounds silly, but you get the one size fits all gloves in my yeah. hands, but even small gloves, like even if you get a <laughs> men's small, they are. still don't fit. <laughs> still so big, yeah. And like you hook up something onto the, you know, on the, you know, whatever your chain on there and you, you're having the the you're tagging it out and it the crane hook would just lift your glove right off because they're humongous so one of the first things i did is i went out and i bought my size gloves and it was pretty funny because a couple you know i put them on the, the cat of the crane during lunch and one of the guys took it off and he's like 
what are these? Like, they're so small. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and it was nice because you, you actually educate the guys like, well, yes, because that is the size of my hand. <laughs> um, and so, it, but it's, it's great having this initiative. And there's also hard hat being done where you can put your ponytail through it so that you can actually have a, you know, be comfortable while you're on site with your hard hats, your gloves, your now vests. Uh, I, Black Ladder makes wonderful jackets that are so, they're actually more comfortable and I wear it instead of my regular jacket <laughs> because I love it so much. It's like a legitimately comfortable jacket. Um, and they make wonderful, you know, uh, short sleeve and long sleeve shirts. Like it's really come, it's night and day from when I started in the industry to have properly fitting, safe work clothing. The, the PPE has been a really great change in this industry. And, yeah. and I don't think, I think people discount the importance of having properly fitting PPE. Um, you know, I, I talked to my safety officer about it the first time, cause he was just like, why, why is there a shelf of women's clothes? And I looked at him, I was like, I'm going to put on the men's shirt. And then, I'm gonna, you know, obviously I kept my other shirt on just to show, <laughs> just yeah, to show yeah. him, well, you know, how I, it fit. I and mean, I think he was shocked. I, I, I mean, I think that that's a spillover and it got exaggerated, but I, I do think that, uh, I mean, I, I remember when, when they first told people like, like I went down a lot of drill chaps with my first, in my first part of my career. And of course, then they, you know, first it was basically you did whatever you want. Then they started saying, you need to wear like goggles. You say, well, I wear prescription glass. And they're like, well, put your goggles over your glasses. And if you do that, I mean, you're blind. You can't see anything because something's going, you know, something's going to fog up and you can't get back to it. But the point is that nobody really thought they said this is PPE, but no one really thought about how it was implemented and really and and like you said, one size fits all, extremely uncomfortable, uh, getting snagged. If it was too large, if it was too small, it was restrictive on moving. But when, you know, obviously now it got exaggerated because of the different body shapes. It's so, I mean, I guess I'm really thankful. I think maybe part of it is the fact that, that, you know, we have stores like REI and uh, other sorts of outdoor equipment that actually invested in learning how to fit people and um and i'm glad you you took the initiative to apply it those kind of concepts to the hub I mean, that's oh great. yeah i think all the industry-wide women are, are getting better and better clothing um uh, it's not it's not hub i know keller is invested uh, in getting vests we we ordered 600 of those vests yes yeah. i found out today oh which, is that right yeah well, we I'm very excited for we, them to come in. We need to order some Me here. Too. I just, we just, we just have some, we, we just had to make a special order to find some extra small vests. Obviously mm -hmm. not for me, but, um, but we need. What, well, Pip makes a good one too. What was that? If you can't get them from Radiant. If you can't get them from Radiant, I know Pip makes an okay. Radiant. Okay. Uh, okay. I will well. make yeah, sure that I make a, I will bring it up immediately because that, that's a great thing. And yeah, send you the link. Black Ladder makes excellent uh, clothing as well. Not just not vests, but more. I think they they might do vests as well. But the shirts, the jackets, and the um, the long sleeve shirts are yeah. extraordinarily comfortable. And we were talking about the hard hats, right? Like recently, I was on a job site in New York City, and Keller has come up with this new hard hard hats, which actually are you know shaped to fit heads, and it has 
you know, this strap that goes around your neck and you can tighten and, you know, it's just like a, a Japanese helmet, but a better version of Japanese helmet. I think a lot, uh, I was talking about this earlier with um, Marissa from my marketing team. A lot of people don't realize either that fall protection harnesses, like women are supposed to have their own sized harness because our torsos are smaller and like it, when you get suspended from a fall, right? Like everybody is probably aware that like the biggest concern once you fall is blood flow and how you are going to keep getting blood flowing up to your heart while emergency services are coming to get you down. And the harness, like if a woman puts on a male harness, it's pretty dangerous. Um, so they do develop female harnesses, but I mean, you've got to, go out of your way and be like, I'm going to be working at Heights. Can I get a harness that fits me instead of using the shared harnesses in the C can. And a lot of that, a lot of time when women have to ask for women specific PPE, it kind of comes off as like, she's asking for special treatment. I feel like that was the vibe and in, in back in the day, but now there's like such a huge focus on it. It's like, no, like this, this is why I need my own harness. This is why I need a vest that fits me appropriately. Cause you know, like Alyssa was saying, it gets caught in equipment. Or it just, you know, it's uncomfortable and it's all you can think about all day while you're doing your work is how the vest is digging <laughs> into the side of your neck. Um, like I look at photos for me in my career and it's just like, I'm always like, I'm wearing a size small and whatever I'm wearing and it's still swimming on me because it's so long. It looks almost like it was like, take your kid to work day. And it's I'm so just serious. there. And, and then, and then it's like, oh, who is that? And it's like, oh, that's our health and safety manager. <laughs> like, so I think, you know, it is, it is about branding as well. It's about looking professional, looking good. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. there is one thing I think we should work towards, uh, Alicia, uh, for, uh, you know, ADSC women in construction round table mm -hmm. is having the car hearts, uh, you know, the, uh, the pullovers. The yes. Yeah, I, I think that one is number one. The size is number one. And the second one is like having a zipper somewhere so you don't have to take the whole car heart off when you have to go to the bathroom for women. <laughs> I think that would be perfect if you're working in winter. So we've had some elaborate conversation on the matter of safe so far. So let's maybe look at maybe what's next with uh, Catherine and Alyssa. Uh, Alyssa, start with you. What what do you see is next on the horizon for hub and maybe safety in general? Uh, well, I mean, I guess I hope that the industry starts to slow down a little bit um, you know, as an industry and as a society, to be honest. Um, you know, I think I, I think if we can slow down and really think about what we're doing, how we're doing it, uh, it, it'll automatically become a safer, safer industry. Um, and, and I think that we really do need to. So when you say slow down, you mean uh, not be rushed? Or... Not be rushed, not okay. have this go, 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 get your job done, wrap it up, um, work six you know, days a week, you know, 18 billion hours. Um, it's interesting. To slow it down, have a better. But... It's interesting you use that, I will say, because I've always been told that there's two things that are never an excuse. I didn't have enough time and I didn't have enough money. Those two things are never an excuse for something really bad. So it's an interesting. I, I like your your concept that we should we should take we we need to learn to just take the time and know 
and know that it's not a, a legitimate excuse to say, well, I was, I didn't have enough time to do it right. It's never going to work. You, you always have to, you know, when you're rushing is when you tend to make mistakes. And I, I think that, you know, if the general contractors understand that you need to slow it down a little bit to make sure you're doing everything correctly, I think everyone will be better off. And I, I do hope that we go in that direction. I feel like we have started going in that direction. Um, and I hope we continue. And I think that the next generation coming up in the workforce is going to force that they're going to be a forcing function in this because they do want to have a work-life balance. They do want time off. Um, and I think that the industry is going to have to adapt and change to allow that. And I, and I think that will be a good thing for everyone. Very good. Catherine, what do you see? Uh, if you look in your crystal ball, what do you see that's coming up on the safety fund? Uh, I'm a huge fan of innovation. So, I mean, Keller is also, we do a lot of techniques. We're always looking at different solutions to um, address ground problems or, or geotechnical problems. Um, and with that comes new ways of doing things and, and you know, new tools and technology uh, that we can use to our advantage to make things safer. Um, I mean, like we've all been to equipment trade shows to see the kind of stuff that they're working on. It's pretty exciting when, when you see, you know, this is the next five years. Like we I mean, are, you can pilot a drill rig with a controller while you stand in front of it. Like that's pretty cool. So seeing like new stuff like that. And then also um, Alyssa and, and Lucky, you guys were a, a part of um, that chapter meeting that we had about healthy construction headspace, but there's a huge yeah. focus now on psychological safety, which is, you know, with the, the new and younger kids coming up into the industry, it's something that they want to talk about. And it's something that we should have been talking about for a really long time, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, mental health and, and having the confidence to speak up and ask questions without fearing, you know, being reprimanded or knowing that your opinion is valued because, you know, we rely on everybody for our safety culture. So if somebody has the confidence to stand up and say like, no, I don't, we should stop work. I, I don't think we want to do this. I think there's like, we're seeing way more people being comfortable doing that than we used to back in the day, which is awesome. I agree. Oh, that's, yeah, it's, it's definitely. And I, I completely support you with the mental health. Uh, I think that initiative is being pushed uh, through the ADSC and through DFI. And I think it's an excellent, excellent um, initiative for people to work with and go on. Uh, even in my own company, we've been talking more and more about it. And, and I think that opening up that space has been healthy for everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, super. Uh, ladies, thank you. Uh, this has been a wonderful time. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have, have too. Um, uh, you know, just to summarize, uh, we've gotten to know Catherine Chowder and Alyssa Weiss. Um, we, we've learned how they've been uh, trailblazers in their respective uh, professions. Catherine is a health and safety officer and Alyssa is, is now president of Hub Foundation. We've learned things ranging from uh, some statistics that show that um, uh, women are 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 likely involved in some violent uh, uh, conditions, is particularly in America, and that that certainly is an area to work on and uh, provide education and and improvement. Um, we've also learned about some some uh, 
examples like uh, Catherine learned how they went in and looked at a, a root cause analysis of cage dropping. And Alyssa, they applied a lesson of, of keeping their eye out for their worker who um, was suffering from the heat and how uh, prompt action probably saved him from certainly uh, more serious injury or, or, or possibly saved his life or, or her life. I don't I don't know. Maybe Alyssa, did I get the... Yes. It was his, okay, I got, I guess. Uh, anyway, um, uh, Lucky, uh, closing thoughts? Oh, well, this was amazing. This was amazing. Safety has been on top of everyone's minds and companies. And, and this is really great opportunity for us to know Catherine Chowder and Alicia Weiss more and the work they are doing in the industry. And I'm really grateful that you both participated in this podcast and our guests thank you so much for doing that yeah thank thanks. you for having us yeah thank thanks you. for being uh, on our show and thanks for being trailblazers yeah thank you very much on behalf of dfi we hope you enjoyed this episode the views information and opinions expressed during deep foundation institute's podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of dfi DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Thank you for your time. Keep on surviving.